0: Well, good morning. Welcome to the well. If you're a guest with us, my name is Al. I'm one of the pastors here. We've been studying the book of Judges. We are in chapter seven. We'll finish chapter seven today. We've been looking at the life of a man named Gideon, and so we've seen him start off as a really timid, scared, uh, perplexed man. And we're going to see today how God uses him in and in to lead His people to a great victory over the hand of Midian, a, a governing, ruling, um, a nation that has been oppressing God's people for seven years, and so. Uh, we're going to see finally God's people are going to get victory. If you need a Bible, though, we do go verse by verse through books of the Bible. Uh, we are in Judges 7. If you need one, raise your hand. One of our ushers will bring you one. If you don't own one, this is our gift to you. Uh, we're going to start in verse 9. It will be on the screen as well. Uh, the first thing we see here I want us to see is that fear and loneliness. Uh, we're going to look at fear and loneliness in leadership. and We're going to see this in the life of Gideon. It starts this way in verse 9. At the same night, uh, the Lord said to him, so this is after God has commissioned him uh, to, to uh, lead his people um, into battle and uh, to set, God's going to, Set his people free from the oppression of Midian. Uh, that night, the Lord came to Gideon and, and said to him, "Arise, go down against the camp, for I have given it into your hand." So again, God is reminding Gideon that he is he has sure victory because God said it. How do we know that his victory is going to be sure? God has said it. God said he is the one who's going to do it. And uh, we've also seen up to this point that God has uh, said he's going to do it, and he's going to do it so powerfully that he's going to not use 32,000 people, uh, which the army was originally. He's only going to use 300 of of Gideon's men. And so uh, he says this, though. But if you are afraid, and he's talking to Gideon, again, if you're afraid, go down uh, down to the camp with Purah, your servant, and you shall hear uh, what they say, and afterward your hands shall be strengthened to go down against the camp. We see here that Gideon, though he's been called and commissioned and been promised the presence of God, he's still struggling. We've seen it each week. He's struggling with a little bit of fear and a little bit of anxiety, a little uh, uh, just uh, kind of perplexed from time to time uh, within, and overcome by insecurity. I want us to be reminded of this. I said it last week, but it's uh, we see here that great leaders from time to time are often perplexed by fear and insecurity. And it happens probably more than you think. And God knows this about Gideon, and he wants to strengthen him. He's already promised that he would be with him, so God is not saying he wants to give Gideon um, uh, something that uh, he hasn't already promised, but he's promised to be with him, and what he's going to do next is he's going to use this man, his, his servant Pura, to, to, to help him. To help him be strengthened. And so he assumes and knows, because uh, God knows everything, that, that Gideon is still uh, feeling lonely, still feeling scared, a little anxious. So he's going to, he's like, hey, go down to the camp and you're going to hear some things. But if, you really, if you're really scared, we'll bring your buddy along with you. Um, and the thing I want us to see here is that leadership can be lonely. Leadership can be lonely. Gideon is standing against the oppressive nation of Midian, uh, not with, and he's not been trained for battle. That's not his up, uh, his background, his upbringing. That's not that's what God's called him to. But that's not what he he knows. He's not really good at that. He's, he's, he's not good at that, and so he's, he's stepping into this, uh, this role, and he comes from a family that um, his dad used to be like a Christian. He used to be um, one who walked upright with the Lord, but now his, his dad's the quasi-pagan, uh, you know, idolater, uh, spiritual guru of the town. This guy is not a guy who contends for the faith. This guy, his background is, is a father who's compromised the faith. And so he's not really used to standing against you know, his, his friends, his buddies, his, his family. They don't stand against uh, the oppressive army uh, or the oppressive nation of the day, but rather, they, uh, they're in a culture that is very um, passive. Gideon, that's his, that, I just want we got to be reminded that that's his background, that's his upbringing. The culture that he lives in is a, is a very uh, uh, progressive, apostate. You know, a culture. We've seen this from time to time. People are drunk in the streets. You know, they're they're self medicating. It's very pornographic culture, sexually confused. The the churches or, or God's God's people have closed up their places of worship. They those have been replaced by uh, pagan altars. Um, and see where they're at in Judges is where we are heading as a nation. We're not fully there yet, but we're on our way. Uh, and they are experiencing the fullness of just a, a, the the entire uh, people of God just leaving the faithfulness of their worship of God. And, they've, theref- and then therefore they become oppressed and overcome by the, the nations around them. And now God has shown up and called Gideon and said, hey, you got a mission to save my people. And he's scared. He's scared. And we keep seeing this fear. But what we continue to see is not just the faithfulness of God. We definitely keep seeing the fear, the faithfulness of God. But we also keep seeing Gideon step forward in faith. Like, it's okay to be afraid. It's not, be, it's not okay to be ruled by your fear. We must be ruled by our God. Place our faith in the God who can lead us to overcome our fear to obedience to him. And God wants Gideon to obey. God's going to help him obey. And what he is doing is he's, he's, he's telling him, hey, I'm going to send you your servant, Pura. He's going to go with you. So you do this. You're not going to have to do this alone. He has a little battle buddy. That's what he has. This is his friend. The reality is, for Christians, life can be lonely, especially in a day and an age when a culture that doesn't, it's not popular to be a Christian. It's not. If If you don't believe that, then I don't know who, like, where you live, but, like, it's just not popular anymore to be a Christian. It's lonely to be a Christian. It's not socially acceptable to worship the God of the Bible in Gideon's day. It's not socially acceptable to worship the God of the Bible as it's written in our day. No, it's socially acceptable to edit God's word, but not to proclaim God's word. And so Gideon is a man who's who's not no longer seeking to edit God's word, but to submit to it, to follow it, to worship God for who he says he is and gideon is 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 in this hostile culture you and i are living in a, a, a you know further progressive hostile culture to christianity and there's a real sense of of loneliness for the christian and this is why we need friendships, brotherhood, camaraderie. We need men and women to walk alongside us, to help us. Uh, not he, not here to become emotionally dependent, but we need brothers and sisters to be in the foxhole with us. And this is what God understands about human uh, nature because he made us this way. He made us for shared relationships. Moreover, he's, he's sending this, this uh, Gideon servant, Pura to go with him to help him to what? So that his hand would be strengthened. See, we need brothers and sisters to come alongside us and strengthen our hands to be obedient to the commands of the Lord. That's so why we use the language. Our desire at the well is to help one another follow Jesus, fight sin, and fulfill the mission. That's the that's the job of the uh, of, of, of one another here at the well. We want to help cultivate that. Um, in everything we do, so through the preaching, I'm hoping that you know through preaching we desire we desire to follow Jesus. Right and to fight sin when, it, when we're aware of it, and to ultimately fulfill the mission. Our discipleship groups, same way. And community groups, the same way. Everything we do uh, in all of our relationships and, and spheres here at the well is, is aimed at helping one another follow Jesus, fight sin, and fulfill Jesus' mission. It's the very same thing we see Pura doing. Here. And what's going to happen with Gideon, his hands are going to be strengthened towards faith and obedience in the God who called him. And this is pretty awesome. We all need encouragement. God is about to encourage Gideon. Just imagine this. God has already said to him, hey, Gideon, I know you're anxious. And so I'm going to encourage you and strengthen you. And I'm going to uh, uh, send this guy with you. uh, And y'all are going to go down and y'all are going to hear some things. It's got to be be exciting for Gideon. He's like, okay, what what are we about to go here? What is it? What is it we're about to go here? Like he's 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 anticipating. I want you to see this. Gideon is anticipating being encouraged. I I when you show up to a community group, when you show up to discipleship group, do you show up? Do you, when you show up on, on Sunday, do you anticipate being encouraged and your hands being strengthened? I've never thought about it that way. Well, may from henceforth, forevermore, may you in those spheres expect that if you need your hands strengthened, that when you show up to these 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 means of grace that God has given His people, His church, that man God's going to do what He's going to He said He's going to do through shared relationships, through the church, through community, through the preached word. He's going to strengthen your hands, strengthen your heart, give readiness to your feet to do what He has called you to do. And so um, what's going to happen is, 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 is we're about to see it, but Gideon could see the encouragement that God has for him and ignore it. I just want you to see this. Well, we, he could ignore the encouragement and, st- and choose to still stay in fear. God's people can, can be in community, be dedicated, or, or, or show up every single week on a Sunday, show up to your groups, be involved in relationships, but never expect to be strengthened, or, or when God has desire to strengthen you, you to ignore what he has said. It, it is very possible for God's, God to be giving you an opportunity to be strengthened, but you are so ruled by your fear that you cannot move forward in faith. And so this is when we need one another. We need brothers and sisters around us to look into our life and to go, man, we God is providing an opportunity for you. God has is, is, is given you an answer. God has spoken, and you can't really see it or hear it right now. So let's enter into your life and help you see what you can't see. It's called a blind spot for a reason, right? Because you can't see it. And so... Gideon is going to move forward here in, in with his buddy pura here in verse uh, continue verse 11 they went down uh, and, and they're gonna see they're gonna see this uh, th- these men talk about this barley rolling barley cake dream like that, that someone's gonna have a dream and it's, it's a weird dream and it's going to, we're gonna hear the interpretation of it and it's going to encourage Gideon then he went down this is Gideon with pura his servant to the outposts of the armed men who were in the camp and the Midianites and the Malachites and all the people of the east uh, lay along the valley like locusts in abundance. This is important. This is how, like, there's so many people there. Uh, their, their camels uh, were without number as the sand on the seashore in abundance. This is going to be important later when they go into battle because uh, there's so many people, like, they can't even be numbered. That's how many people are there against God's people. So if there's ever a moment where to look out and go, man, we are not only outnumbered with our 32,000, but we whittled the army down to 300, and we can't even count them. There's so many people. This is, if you're at a point in your life where you feel like there's just, I just, what I'm going through feels impossible to overcome. This is exactly the scene here for Gideon. It is impossible for them to overcome this unless God shows up. And then uh, when Gideon came, behold, a man was telling. So he's listening to these two guys have a conversation. Uh, Behold, a man was telling his dream to his comrade. He said, behold, I dreamed a dream, and behold, a cake of barley uh, tumbled into the camp of Midian and came in the tent and struck it down, and it fell fell and was turned upside down. And so the tent was laid flat, and his comrade answered, this is no other than the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel, God has given into his hand Midian and all his camp and as soon as Gideon heard the telling of the dream and its interpretation he worshiped and he returned to the camp of Israel and said, uh, arise for the Lord ha- uh, has the Lord has given the host of Midian into your hand so Gideon. Shows up and he sees these two, uh, these two Midianites talking, and and it's interesting. They're just as scared as Gideon is. They're sitting over here, man. we man, we got like a bunch of people. You can't even number our armies. We're so many people, but they're they're terrified. They're terrified also. And this guy had a dream. And he's like, man, I'm so scared because I had this dream, and and it looks like God has given us into. Midian us Midian, the big powerful army into Gideon's hand like Gideon's gonna roll up in here like a piece of uh, a, a barley cake and just like lay us flat see they have they, it's, it's interesting they believe the very thing that Gideon is struggling to believe they believe that God has given Midian into Gideon's hand that's true God has done that they actually have faith not saving faith uh, they, but they, they believe, oh no, God's going to beat us today. God claims victory, God wins. and they're just as scared of Gideon as Gideon is scared of them. See, I need you to see this oftentimes those who have a lot of power, especially those who oppose Jesus and Christianity, they look big, they look scary, they look like they, they can destroy you. They, they, their numbers are so many as the grain of sand. and, and you think that they' are, they're just uh, they, they, they don't lose sleep over you and, and Jesus at night. They do. They do. You may never see it. Eternity is written on the hearts of men. There's no atheist out there that's so bold that that they're utterly confident in their atheism. There's not. Someone will say they are, but yeah, wait till they start seeing the hand of God in their life. They start to question. They start to doubt. They start to be, you know, confused. We even see it throughout uh, uh, history or even, even Herod even 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 in 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 New Testament what we see with like with John the Baptist they were terrified of John the Baptist because of his prophetic preaching ministry yeah he cut off his head but it wasn't out of uh out of joy and gladness it was out of out of fear we even see throughout the the, the acts when they're like hey we need to just stop persecuting stop you know shut this church up because you know we might be opposing God and if we are then like He's just going to keep rolling through our camp like a barley loaf and flatten us out. And that's what he does. Even in nations that, that begin to oppress Christians, what they end up finding out is that the more they oppress Christians, the further the gospel spreads. I need you to see this, that oftentimes Christians are, are, are intimidated by those who oppose them. I need you to know this. It's very likely that, that those who oppose Jesus are just as terrified of you and of the gospel as you are perhaps of them this is what gideon is finding out and they're scared just like i am but they're scared of me and i'm scared of them and they believe in god they they don't don't, it's not saving faith but they believe that god has given them into my hand me a little weak barley cake See that's what this little this interpretation is is this this little barley loaf if you if you remember when we first meet Gideon he's in the he's he's threshing grain and hiding and he he's he's the no he, he self-proclaimed weakest of his family and his family's the weakest of them all he's like man we're a little weak you know barley cakes like that's how he views himself and so God is saying yeah you might be a little barley cake but you're going to lay waste to Midian by my hand and my power and, and Midian understands that what's the point here it's that God is going to give victory like he said he would. God is going to get the glory, not Gideon. The, 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 the people of Midian are afraid of Gideon's God. I just long for this day that our church would, the people, it, it, anyone who would oppose the God of the Bible would be terrified of our God. They would go, man, we're not going to mess with that church. We're not going to mess with Christians in our city because, you know, their God, like He's legit. He's legit. Like we don't trust him, we don't like him, we don't believe in, you know, we don't like the way he does some things, but you know what? He's he's glorious, he's awesome, he's victorious. That's what we see here with Midian. They understand that God is about to deliver his people and they're about to lose, and that Jesus is about to win. And I need you to see this through the resurrection of Jesus, we now know as Christians that Jesus wins. Like Jesus has won. He has won. He wins. And so when when the offer from the Lord Jesus to join him in his mission through the Great Commission is in Matthew 28, 18 through 20, is a a call to join Jesus on a winning team with a winning mission. Like, this is how it works. Just like God is going to give Gideon the victory in battle, Gideon's not going to do more. We're going to find out he does very little. For you, a Christian, joining Jesus on his mission, making disciples, in reality, you do very little than other than show up and be faithful. And God does a great and mighty work in and through us. The gates of hell cannot stop the great commission of Jesus, just like Midian cannot stop the hand of God through Gideon's 300 soldiers, no matter how big their number is. And so the Great Commission is an invitation to join Jesus on his winning, victorious mission. It's a, it's a battle that is sure, just like Gideon's battle here is sure and secure. It should give us great hope when we think about, we gotta go, we've been called to go make disciples, to make disciples, uh, teach them to observe all that he has commanded. Like it's, a, it's, it's, it's a sure victory. It's a sure mission be strengthened church may, you, may we be reminded of when Gideon here is reminded of how sure the victory is may we be reminded just like the tomb is empty how sure the victory is for God's people and disciple making if we just would keep at it keep may our hands be strengthened and may we be like one another maybe with one another encourage one another to believe that and respond faith and obedience, and this is exactly what we see happen in verse 15. Gideon hears it, he's strengthened, and what happens? Once he heard the dream and its interpretation, he worshiped. He's like, let's go, let's do church right now, let's, let's, let's worship. And then, and then afterwards, we see him obey. He, he worships, and then he says, arise, the Lord has, uh, of, Lord has given uh, the host of Midian into your hand, and they, they, they start to head for the battle. They start to organize themselves for battle. And that's what we see next. The battle plan and we see the battle cry. Uh, and they divided the 300 men into three companies and put trumpets into the hands. So this is the battle plan. The they're, they're, they're three groups... 100 men in each, in each company, they put trumpets in the hands of all the men and empty jars, interesting war tools, uh, with torches inside the jars. And he said to them, look at me and do likewise. When I come to the outskirts of the camp, do as I do. When I blow the trumpet, I and all who are with me, uh, then blow the trumpets on every side of all the camp and shout for the Lord and for Gideon. This is the battle plan. This is the battle cry. This is the last moment where Gideon's getting with his people before they're about to take the field. And this is a pretty awesome scene. But if you'll remember, Gideon started out 32,000 men. Now there's only 300. There was a massive army. Now there's a a quite small army. God has told him he's going to use 300 men. Why? Because if he were to use all 32,000, Israel would think that maybe they won the war. And it wasn't really God. He was clear about that. So there's 300 people here so that, so that everyone knows that it is God who's delivering them. And so he's like, now it's time to draw up the battle plan. He has got some empty jars. We got some torches. We don't know. It is not. It is assumed that this is uh, Gideon just just coming up with this plan himself. Uh, it's not clear that this was given to him by God at all through the Scripture. Furthermore, we see last a couple chapters ago that God had already told him, "Hey, go out and make war. Uh, I, I will give them into your hand. I have already strengthened you. Go in this might that I have given you." We didn't, he didn't give him a plan. He gave him a, a tenacity and he gave him a, a, a strength to do it. And that's what we see. We see that Gideon. Gideon is, is is building this battle plan, and then he has this battle cry. And I'm not going to get into all the commentators, what they say about it, but there's some guys that get offended. They don't really like this battle cry. But one commentator said it this way, and I think it's pretty, pretty uh, awesome. It's meant to be understood this way. Um, this, this for the Lord and for Gideon um, means this, that the battle belongs to Yahweh, the commander-in-chief, and to his deputy, Gideon. That's who. That's this. and so if if you remember, Midian expects the, Gideon to show up and lay waste to them because that's what they're already they're already scared of this. And so what Gideon is saying, no, we're going to show up and we're going to we're going to shout this this battle cry for the Lord for Yahweh. And, and guess what? Gideon his servant is here to 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 fulfill the mission of Yahweh, the God of the Bible. These men who are, who are going with Gideon, these 300 men who are about to take the field, we must not forget. They too, like Gideon, have been inactive, passive men. Before Gideon, seven years of oppression. None of the men, armed forces, stood up to battle. No one stood up against Midian. They, they, Midian laid waste to God's people continually. These men have been hiding, not training. They've been afraid, and now they're stepping forward with faith. God called one man, Gideon, and, he, and they have now followed in faith behind him. And see, I need us to be reminded, it only takes one man. It takes, it takes one person of faith to stand up, to obey God. And don't be surprised when other people start following behind you. And then, just imagine. Just imagine this scene. I, I, I've maybe imagined it probably more than most things I imagined before going into a sermon uh, this week. The trumpet sounds... Like everyone shouts on like every side of the camp for the Lord and for Gideon, like you're preparing for that. This is like uh, the, the, the opening kickoff of a game. I know y'all don't like sports in here, but imagine if you did, because uh, uh, I'm imagining it. You know, like when, when the, the ball is kicked, the, the, the cannons sound, and the, the, the crowd is cheering, and there's this moment of just like, yes, every, it's, it's happening, it's starting, it's awesome. And, like, everyone has, uses all on the field uses all their energy for the guy to just, you know, wave and get a fair catch. Like, that's, that's if you, see, none of y'all know what football is. It's okay. We'll try a second service. Uh, this, the trumpet sounds. Everyone's excited for the Lord and for Gideon. They rush to take the field, and they go into battle. Here in verse 19, we begin to see the victory. God gives victory over the hand of Midian, and this is what it looks like. So Gideon and the and the hundred men who were with him, because remember they're in three different groups, uh, uh, there uh, with him came to the outskirts of the camp, and at the beginning of the middle of the watch, when they had uh, they had just set the watch, they blew the trumpets and smashed the jars uh, that were in their hands. So everyone's asleep. This is kind of like you know it was it was. Uh, uh, this is if you know your Texas history it's kind of like you know you know Santa Ana's taking a nap. It's, this is how you win wars guys. Uh and so uh he's asleep uh, the the Midians asleep it's night so they they sound their trumpets and they smash the jars which is why wi- like a wild sound to probably hear. And the 300 and, and the 3 companies blew their trumpets and broke their jars and they fell and and they held their their uh their They held in their left hand the torches, so now lights going everywhere. And in their right hand the trumpets to blow. And they cried out, a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. And every man stood in his place around the camp. And all the army ran. And they cried and fled. And they blew the 300 trumpets. And the Lord, and so what happens? They're just breaking glass, screaming for the Lord and blowing trumpets and And what happens is the Lord set every man's sword against his comrade against his own army, so Midian starts killing one another, like Gideon like at this point they they're not even like fighting, they're just like, "Yeah, God is good, smash trumpets, and then the the bad guys are just starting to kill each other like if you want to know who wins the war, it's clear—not the 300 untrained, you know, Israelites. It's—it's it's God shows up and through the battle cry, through the trumpets, through the chaos, through the plan, God delivers uh, uh, Midian. They—they they self-destruct. They literally self-destruct. They're like, oh no, for the Lord, for Gideon. Gideon's here, a sword for him. They don't even have their swords drawn. They're like, ah. And it's just they 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 totally implode. They totally implode. Let's see, let's continue. And the army flees, and they're like, we gotta get out of here as far as Beth Shittah. Yeah, that's how it's said. I don't know. I should have practiced that one. Uh uh t- Towards Zerah. <laughs> that's why I I love reading publicly. As uh as far as the board of Abel. Mehola and by Tebbath um, and the men of Israel were called out from Nephtali and from Asher and from all of Manasseh, and they pursued after Midian. Gideon sent messengers throughout all the hill country of Ephraim, saying, come down against the, uh, the Midianites and capture the waters. So like, man, we're going to stop them uh, at the waters against them as far as Beth-bara uh, and also the Jordan. So they're, they're stopping them at the, at the waters so that all the men of Ephraim were called out and then captured the waters as far as Beth-arba, Uh, Barah and uh, also Jordan the Jordan and they captured the two princes uh, Midian of Midian Oreb and Zeba and killed Oreb uh, at the rock of Oreb and Zeba they killed at the winepress of Zeba or or Zeb I don't know Uh, and they pursued Midian and they brought the heads of Oreb and Zeb to Gideon across the Jordan victory at last Wild victory, though. Like, God, God, uh, God just del- just handed over Midian like he said he would. When we've seen Gideon come such a long way, I just, we've studied him for now two, three, four weeks now, and, and what we've seen is Gideon's come such a long way to, like, actually see the battle, see, see God deliver his people. It's just an exciting, it should be an exciting thing for us as the reader. Like, man, God did what he said he was going to do. Why? Because God always does what he says he would, would do. We've seen Gideon even, remember, if we remember him, we've seen him challenge God, question God. Like, God, if you are with us, will you do this type questions? We've seen him make excuses. I'm so weak. My family's so weak. Everyone I know is so weak. Why? How can I do this? Oh, weak me. Poor me. I'm not trained. Why me? Like, that was Gideon. We've seen him paralyzed by fear multiple times, but now matured, strengthened, Fear from here on out is, is pretty much a thing of the past and the way he's been crippled by fear. He's just a new man. We see the victory. It's, it's awesome to see. And we know God's people were mightily outnumbered. That you, you couldn't even number the, the amount of the, the army of Midian. So strong. They've been devouring God's people for seven years, and in one moment, with the with the battle cry of praise and worship to the Lord, and the sounds of some trumpets, it it, it the, the literally Midian implodes. Like Christian, we just got to keep doing what we've been called to do in the city, being proud of it, not ashamed of it, publicly, not hiding. God will give the victory. And see, they fight at night. They attack when Midian is in disarray and confused. They just got these jars and torches, strange battle weapons, and God delivers his people. See, it's God's victory. It's God's victory. Gideon's army really doesn't even fight. They get to chop off some heads here at the moment, at the end, but like the the majority of the fight was God just creating chaos and then Midian's self destructing. And, and so what we see here through this pandemonium is, is it ultimately results in the capturing of the two princes of Midian. And they are then beheaded. And so what this is is, is a reminder that the gods of Midian are no match for the one true and living God. There is no, there's no so-called God on planet Earth that is ma- a match for Yahweh, the one true and living God, the God of the Bible, the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph, Jesus Christ. No one can stand against him. And so what we're going to find, we're, next week we're going to look at what happens after, the a, kind of aftermath of this battle. But right now what I want you to see and, and, and savor for a moment are these are Gideon's best days get so days that are coming are not going to be his best days, and his former days were not his best days. Right now, we see in the text this mighty man of valor, that this man who God has called uh, mighty and strong, though he was weak, him living out his God-given calling. These are Gideon's best days. There's victory in the land. And what I want to do for the, re- the remainder of our time is, what I want to do is, I want to, I want to, I want to examine our day our age, our culture, looking through the lens of the story of Gideon. Um, and, and I'll do so by, by setting it up, by asking this question, what do we do with the men? Some of you are like, that's a strange question to ask in light of this. I'm gonna, I'll build my point. What do we do with the men? See, the culture uh, of Gideon's day was, was a culture of passivity. God's people were doing nothing. 7 years they were letting the, the 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 non-christian uh pagan rulers rule everything close down their churches take take their churches turn them into uh, altars for Baal and Asheroth. they were then uh God's men were joining them in this pagan idolatrous worship in 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 God's men who uh, then you have other men of God who knew that was not the ways of the Lord they were scared and hiding and uh and just being pillaged and 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 everything being laid to waste that's the culture that that of the day in the days of gideon and see our culture also doesn't know what to do with do with, with the men the men no one knew what to do with the men and gideon say our day we don't know what to do with the men either the progressives what they'll do is they'll they'll demonize men calling them toxic uh, seeking to eradicate them from anything and everything that's quote masculine and then the political conservatives are are aware of the problem too that we don't know what to do with the men so all they do is complain about the assert, the absurdity of the progressive left but really have no plan to develop men either like it it both uh, everywhere in our nation everyone's asking the question what do we do with the men and no one has a plan Additionally, many churches are afraid of offending people, and so they don't say anything either. Um, therefore, we've raised another generation that does not know the Lord like the days of, of the judges, and that they're an entire generation of soft, passive, effeminate men. That's the days of Gideon. It's the days of uh, our day. And so what we see is, is, is in our day, the least likely person to go to church to get a job keep a job, to uh, uh, finish school, to launch, to create culture, are young men, particularly in their 20s. If you look around, if you come to both services, you'll find we have a few of them. By God's grace, we're turning the tide, not because of our, anything that we've done, but because of the goodness and faithfulness of God. And so we, uh, uh, we believe a generation of God's men are waking up, they're waking up to the call of God to himself they're coming to faith and it's, it's evident our church is evident that God is doing a great work in this regard but upon hearing God's call uh, many young guys they don't respond like inspired warriors ready to work they're like I hear God's call like yeah let's go take the battlefield. they're more like Gideon they hear God's call and they're like yeah but if you are who you say you are why is it so bad that's what Gideon said why are we oppressed? If you are a good God, and God's like, hey, because you none of y'all worship me anymore, and I'm, you know, trying to discipline you, and he's like, oh, okay, uh, well I'm too weak. My family, we're very weak. It's like our day, like uh, the guys, you know, you, God calls us to Himself, we get saved, and you know, guys are like, you know, I'm not inspired to get out there to battle. I feel fearful. I feel insecure, like Gideon. But also like Gideon, men in our day need development. Gideon needed to be developed. He needed to be developed. He needed to be trained. So I've seen this same story play out time and time again over the past decade among young men. Uh, A Christian guy will will get saved, start reading his Bible, uh, get plugged into a church, and and then he hears of God's call for him. And he immediately feels, he he feels overwhelmed. He feels underdeveloped. He is inspired And he wants to do what God has called him to do, but he doesn't have any good examples to look at. And so he feels this this desire to follow in obedience to the Lord Jesus and to to be the man he's been called to. but But when he examines his life, he doesn't know how to do it. He's looking around maybe to his father or to other men in his life like Gideon would have done. He looked to his father and he's like, oh yeah, my dad used to be a Christian. Now he's over there, you know, half naked at the pagan temple. That's what I think masculinity is. And all the other men are doing that. And all the guys who have jobs, that are high-paying jobs, that's what they're doing. Like, what does it mean to be a man? Gideon is asked, has to ask that question. And so like Gideon, many in our day, uh, God's men, they'll, they'll just be intimidated by the God-sized task. They will want to do it, but just don't know how. They just don't know how. They get insecure. You see, and I tell people this all the time, um, the, one of the worst things a guy can feel is inadequate and insecure. This is why we, we don't use big, crazy words in here. And if we do, we explain them so that the guys in the room aren't here and listening going like, well, I can't go to church here. I can't really talk in community group there because they use these big, fancy words. And I don't know what those words mean, so I'll just say nothing. You know why, ladies, if your guys don't say anything sometimes? It's because they feel insecure. They don't know what to say, what to do. They're intimidated. It's okay to be there. It's not okay to stay there. And so, men, we want to help you answer God's call to walk upright, holy lives, confident in the Holy Spirit. And I know many men; they want to do that. They just don't know how. They need development, or training, or the biblical term discipleship. That's what it is, right? We've often, uh, if you grew up in church, you thought discipleship was just reading your Bible and memorizing verses, but never doing it, right? Like it was just memorizing it. It's just being able to talk about it. To lead a group. To, 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 you know, be nice. That's what we thought discipleship was. Discipleship is a, applying what we know, read, and, and have heard. Discipleship looks like Gideon going out to battle and doing the thing that he learned from God. and He was trained by God himself to go do. See, discipleship training implies action. Gideon was activated after a time where God dealt graciously with him, trained him developed him and what we've seen throughout the life of of Gideon is that is that God never gave up on him he was patient persistent by the time we get to judges seven some of you are just getting here and it's the first day to you know you're here and you're in judges seven you see Gideon he's like I mean he's, he's mature he's mighty he's going to battle this is awesome for the Lord and for Gideon yes that's not where he started though that's not where he started And so if you're a young man or maybe even an older man and you feel like you're like Gideon and you struggle to activate, you're you're struggling to to get out there and and get involved with with what God has called you to, or you're like, man, I don't even know what to do. I don't even know what questions to ask. Then, Then may I encourage you to join one of our discipleship groups. Join a community group. Find a guy here and go, hey, I don't know what that guy just said, but I want to do that. And you will have men all around here will go, we know what to do. We can, we can help you. Not because we're great, but because we know a guy who's great, whose name's Jesus. And so in Gideon's day, they're full. it's full of passive men in a tyrannical nation who oppressed them, literally raped their women, pillaged their village, their crops, their culture, their children. They sacri- even sacrificed their children. One man shows up, the man Gideon. He gets saved, and he leads God's people to stand against the oppression of the day. We need men in our day. Our nation, our day, every nation, every day needs men. Not just men who have male genitalia, but men who love God, love his word, love his will, love his ways, walk upright. They're aggressive in obedience. They love righteousness. They walk with their Lord. And they become the men that, that provide, that protect, who are selfless, not selfish, who are dedicated to Jesus whose legacies point back to Jesus, because Jesus truly is the most important man in all of human history. He is the most masculine man who ever lived. Jesus is the greater Gideon. Jesus is the one who claimed victory on our behalf. It's Jesus who's the one who's called us to his mission. Jesus is the most important man who has ever lived. He is the most uh, 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 masculine man. He is the, the, the sinless man, the greater Gideon. See Jesus, though uh, uh, sinless or, or though 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 fully God and fully man, lived a sinless life, and then through his sinless life, he was also fully submitted to God the Father. See, he didn't delay adolescence; he went from boy to man. Where the scriptures say this way that Jesus grew in the wisdom and stature in favor of God and man. He didn't take his cues from the culture, the Roman culture. He took his cues from his heavenly Father. Yahweh, the God who wrote the Bible, we must also take our cues not from our culture but from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Jesus grew up. We grow up. Uh, Jesus was sinless, submitted to the will of the Father, um, but there's the he was submitting. The thing I need us to see, guys, is Jesus was a submissive man. Well, part of masculinity in our day and age, and, and this is why some people think it, it, it gets a bad rap and it becomes toxic, and this is toxic masculinity uh, when a man is, who wants authority but won't be under authority. That is, that is very detrimental. Jesus had all authority in heaven and earth and was submitted to God the Father. Uh, see, men must not just be in authority, but they must be under authority. The worst type of man is a man who wants authority, but is unwilling to submit to any authority, particularly God as his primary authority. And you'll know that this guy doesn't want to submit to God's will. It's when he claims he's submitted to God. Only God can judge me, but no one else can talk to me. I just need that guy to know, if that's you, like, that's a scary quote. Only God can judge me, and he will. Uh, Just saying. That should terrify you, dude. That should be the scariest thing you've ever said. It's true, but it should terrify you. See, freedom is not found in in anything. uh, uh, the, The truest freedom is found in submission to God. Jesus was submitted to the will of God the Father. Additionally, Jesus knew a, a, the, the value of hard, honest labor. His dad was a blue-collar coll- worker, uh, a carpenter. That was his background. The scriptures also teach that Jesus was well acquainted with the human experience. He, he understood life was tough. A lot of guys who don't come to church are like, well, well, you know, church, they don't really understand reality. Life is hard. You got to work. You got to provide. You know, it's just, it, it's, it's a tough thing. Jesus understood that life was tough. Isaiah 53 describes him as a man who was uh, 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 acquainted with sorrow and grief. Like he understood the messiness of the human experience in life. His life began when he was uh, he was born in, in this impoverished situation in a manger. Didn't even have a hotel room or a hospital where he could go to. A poor family, uh, carpenter father uh, had a hit out on his life from a, as an infant. Had to flee to Egypt. Uh, he by the by the time he gets to the age of twelve through the scriptures, his dad is no longer present. His earthly father Joseph is no longer present in the scriptures. And so it's likely that he's passed away or something like that. So he's raised by a single mom. Uh, his friends, he, later he's, he's hated. He's not loved. He's sinless, yet people despise him and reject him rather than worship him. The night before he breathes his last, he, and he's, he's sold out by his friend, his good friend, for 30 pieces of silver. While he's praying in the garden, anxious, fearful, weeping. Sweating blood due to the the extreme anxiety he had. The rest of his friends later that night abandoned him. Jesus understood the loneliness of leadership. He's the greater Gideon. He continues to move forward when friendships fail. He's misunderstood. He's lied about. He's sold out. He's abandoned and then betrayed. But before he's betrayed, he's beat. Or after he's betrayed, before he's crucified, he's beat, he's scourged. Isaiah 53 tells it this way, that he bore our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions, was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. Jesus, this was the mission. This is why Jesus came. This is why he lived a sinless life. He lived a life that you and I could not live for us. Gideon's rescue mission was to stand up against the mighty army of Midian. Jesus' rescue mission was to stand up against Satan's sin, death, in the grave. For you. Gideon stood the place for Israel. Jesus stands the place for for the true Israel, God's people, those who know, love, and trust him. He is horribly, cruelly beaten with whips, marred, we're told, beyond human likeness. He is then mocked. Everyone around him mocks him the soldiers spit on him they put a a crown of thorns on his head and openly mock him they declare that he is king but they do so in jest we still do the same thing today we declare jesus is king with our lips but dishonor him with our lives we strip him of the honor and glory and do his name after he is he is he is a abandoned, beaten, bloody, bruised. He is lifted up on a Roman cross, executed in murder. It's literally where, where we get the word excruciating. It means, means from the cross. Jesus dies on the cross in your place for your sins. This is what the battle looks like for Jesus for his rescue mission. We saw the battle, the rescue mission of Gideon. Jesus, the greater Gideon, dies in the stead in the place of sinners. He exchanges himself for you and I. We deserve to be in his place crucified and or punished for our sin. He sinless takes our place to rescue us. See, I need you to see this. Jesus endures all this not just as an example for us, but as the means by which he would rescue us. He would redeem us. He would save us. He would save us from our own self-destruction. We are all, not just like Israel who've, who've, who've gone astray, but we're also like Midian and we're prone to self-destruction. If Jesus doesn't jump in and save us, we are fully hell-bent literally on our own destruction. Gideon had his battle plan. Jesus has his battle plan. His was the cross. And his victory was not the heads of of the the princes of Midian. His victory was the head of the serpent, whom he crushed through his death, burial, and yes, his resurrection. Because Jesus claimed victory over sin, Satan, death, in the grave, but not staying in the grave. But he is now alive, ruling and reigning. Jesus is the greater Gideon. He is the great warrior. He is the great victor. Jesus is not just our example, but he is our Savior, our God, our King. What we should do, therefore, is just like Gideon had this battle cry where he was before they took the field for the Lord and for Gideon. For the Lord, meaning the battle belongs to Yahweh and his deputy, Gideon, the same is true for you and I. The battle belongs to the Lord, Yahweh. We are his deputies. We are his deputies. The victory is as certain as the empty tomb. Jesus is alive. He's ruling and reigning, and he's commissioned you and I to be about the king's business, the great commission. If you're a Christian, you need to know this. The work is done. Jesus' last words on the cross were, it is finished. He breathed his last. What is finished is that the, the, the work to secure salvation is complete. The time, it's, the, it's time to leave our, our, our wine press like Gideon, to, to, to leave the hiding, to leave the fear, to step forward towards the calling that God has for you and your life, to labor from victory, not for victory. And if you need help, you want, me. I, I want this. I want, to, I want to be activated. I want to be a part of this. We want to walk alongside you. We want to help you. We want to, we want to help you follow Jesus, fight sin that keeps you from following Jesus, and fulfill his mission. So may we resolve today to, to worship Jesus. As we see, as we hear, and as we are reminded that just as the the, the cross proves that the victory is secure, just like Gideon heard that the victory was secure, what was his response? Worship. And then he went out to action. So we're going to end. We're going to worship. We're going to worship through the taking of communion. We're going to worship through singing. And then you're going to leave here later and you're going to worship through living your lives, dedicated to Jesus, following him on his mission. We're going to trade our fear, like Gideon, for worship in obedience to the Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Jesus, we do thank you so much for loving us, for saving us, for rescuing us, redeeming us, for being the better Gideon. As we look at the life of Gideon, we see that much of that was going on in his day is going on in our day. We need you to show up, revive our hearts, strengthen our minds, make our hands strong, ready to follow you, Jesus, in your mission just like the grave is empty so is in that and because that is sure so as our salvation is secure that means our past our present future sins have been dealt with done so therefore we can go now to the table and eat and drink with great gladness knowing that you You have forgiven our sins. You've washed away our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon you. We examine the cross. We see how much you love us. We rejoice with great gladness. And now, may we take, eat with joy and faith. And may we sing songs declaring your praise. And may the sounds encourage our hearts, strengthen our souls, and make our feet ready uh, to, to live out the gospel of peace in our everyday life. In Christ's name, amen.